Welcome to the Bible Questions podcast brought to you by BibleQuestions.org and the Holly Street Church of Christ. This podcast is dedicated to answering your Bible questions from the Bible. My name is Brian, and along with Jeff, we are the hosts of this program. Greetings and welcome to the Bible Questions podcast program. You've got your uh, regular co-hosts with you today, Brian and myself. also have a special guest, our evangelist, Alan Hitchin. You also find ourselves in the middle of a podcast series, a small series on prophets and prophecies. Hey, Alan, do you want to, uh, well, first of all, welcome. Thank you. <laughs> do you want to like maybe briefly summarize what we covered in part one? Yeah, I, I do. The Old Testament prophets are made up of two important parts. For the Christians, the most important part are the Messianic prophecies that reveal the Messiah, and they give us a tremendous boost to our faith. But for the people in the Old Testament, those prophecies were not easily understood. And the main purpose of the prophets for them was to get their lives right with God so that they could save their souls and God could bless them. And so what we did in our first podcast is we talked about the first prophets, which we call the non-literary prophets, which started with Abel and then quickly went through Enoch and then Abraham and then to Moses. And then Moses wrote the law. And then all the prophets after that were pointing the people back to the law to keep the law and warning them. And so that was our first podcast, and now in our next podcast, which again is, is just a lot more valuable to us as Christians today, are all the messianic prophecies that God has uh, given to predict and help the people with the future. Right, and for, you know, if any of our listeners are kind of stumbling a little bit over, you know, messianic, Alan, you want to spend you know, a couple of moments talking about what that term means, as well as the, quote-unquote, the Messiah? Sure, yeah. The Greek word for uh, the anointed one is Christ. The Hebrew word for the anointed one is Messiah. And so God in the Old Testament promised that he would send someone who would be a prophet, a priest, and a king, and they anointed all three of those offices to put them into their position. So the Old Testament prophecies that are revealing information about what is going to be going on when the Messiah comes and the Messiah's kingdom, or the Christ's kingdom, as we would say, is very important. Matter of fact, uh, all of the sermons in the Old Testament are made up, sometimes almost primarily, of these prophecies in the Old Testament that have been given the title Messianic Prophecy. And along with that, prophet, priest, and king came a change of the law, right? So we see in Jeremiah 31, where Jesus would not only come, but he would bring a new covenant. And of course, his death on the cross brought that covenant about, right? It was ratified with his blood. So anyhow, those things kind of go hand in hand, right? Yes, they do. And many of those passages in the Old Testament have been re-recorded in the New Testament and then explanations made to help us further understand exactly what those prophecies, again, which were given hundreds and even thousands of years before they were fulfilled, which, as I mentioned earlier, is a real faith builder because man can't do that. If we were to say, Brian, your son is going to do this, your great-great-great-grandson, and then you get in a car crash and all all of you die, what happens to that prophecy? So only God can make a prophecy about Abraham that could bring a Messiah, what, 1900 years later. Uh, it's just incredible how God has been able to promise and then fulfill that promise. All right, as we mentioned in our first podcast, the prophets were inspired of God. They were God's mouthpieces. And Moses even revealed that should a prophet make a prophecy regarding the future that did not was not fulfilled, then that was not a prophet of God. So all of the prophecies in the Old Testament regarding the Messiah, his kingdom, the Christ and his kingdom, the glories that would follow, 
And much, much of this is summed up in a passage in 1 Peter that I want to introduce our uh, the scope of our podcast today. So, Brian, if you'd like to read 1 Peter chapter 1, and we're going to read several verses, but for right now, let's just read verses 10 through 11, and then we'll come back and read verse 12 in just a moment. Here it says, Of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what, or what manner of time, the Spirit of Christ who was in them was in indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. All right, so this is a real good summation of the 200-plus prophecies in the Old Testament regarding Jesus Christ. And of course, beginning all the way back in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, where God promises to send of the seed of Eve someone to bruise the head of the serpent. And of course, that's fulfilled, and we actually see the fulfillment in the book of Hebrews, where it talks about Jesus conquering and destroying the power of Satan over our uh, over those people who are fearful of death, and Jesus took that fear away. So we start in Genesis 3.15, then we go to Genesis chapter 12, where God promises Abraham, if you leave your country and you leave your, your nation and you come to the land of Canaan, then I will make you a great nation, and through your seed all nations of the earth will be blessed. And Paul in Galatians explains that that seed was Christ. And so we, we just continue down through the scriptures and we find the prophecies regarding his suffering. Isaiah 53, a very, very comprehensive description of the sufferings of the Christ who was going to come and the glories that would follow, the beauties of this new kingdom. Uh, where in Jeremiah 31, I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, not according to the covenant I made with their fathers, which they broke, but this is the covenant I will make with them. And then he talks about writing his laws in our hearts and everyone knowing, and just a, a very, very uh, wonderful, comprehensive overview of the coming of the kingdom and the coming of the Christ and the glorious uh, beauty of what's going to happen after. And they wanted to understand it. They, they were searching. They were trying to figure out. Isaiah writes all these things about the Messiah, and then he tries to understand. And finally, it was revealed to them that they weren't going to be able to understand these things. So let's read verse 12 now, Brian, and kind of make some points on the importance of these prophecies for the Christians today. So 1 Peter 1 verse 12 says, To them it was revealed that, not to themselves, but to us, they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. What an amazing uh, statement this is, that God was actually giving these prophets this information not for them, and not for the people in their age. These, these prophecies were not given to Israel. They were given to us. They are given for Christians. So when we get into the book of Acts, and we see the first sermon, and Peter quoting Scripture, and the second sermon, Peter quoting Scripture, and, and uh, the uh, talking to the eunuch, and again, quoting these prophecies, and just building faith. I mean, to be able to prove that Jesus was going to be put to death, as the Jews did, by going back to Isaiah or going back to the words of David and showing, and interestingly enough, the prophecy is so clear when you see the fulfillment, and then suddenly we have the doctrines in the New Testament validated by words that were spoken 800 years earlier, 700 years earlier, 1,000 years earlier, 1,800 years earlier, and all of them without any uh, discord or without any uh, contradictions whatsoever. Every prophecy in the Old Testament was fulfilled, and many of them are actually recorded in the New Testament, 
as a wonderful fulfillment. And again, it's it's something man can't do. It's something that that we would not have the ability to predict what was going to happen in a thousand years. And yet, the Bible is full of those kinds of prophecies. And again, this passage states that although the prophets wanted to understand what they were revealing, it was revealed to them that you're, this is not for you. And, and you're not going to know what these things are. Because these things are being written for those people who will be living under the Messiah's kingdom or under the kingdom of Christ. So these Old Testament prophets were actually serving. The word ministering means serving. They were serving us when they revealed these things to them. And so when Peter gets up in Acts chapter 2 and he says, this is what you did and this is what the prophet said and this is what it means, they had no answer because that was right out of their scriptures. And one of the points that, that Paul will make later is that they were reading these prophecies every week, but because they didn't know what they meant, they actually fulfilled them. So the very things that God said these Jews were going to do, they actually did. And uh, as it was revealed to them, many of them were cut to the heart and repented because they could see how clearly they had fallen short of what God had expected of them. Oh, and you can see that easily illustrated in the uh, what's sometimes called the first gospel sermon, the day of Pentecost, uh, Acts 2, you know, where Peter pretty much, you know, makes <laughs> makes the points that you're uh, highlighting here. Uh, and, you know, many of those in the audience went, ah, uh-oh, you know, we, we crucified our Messiah, you know, brick to the heart, what what shall we do? And, of course, Peter goes on to, to tell them what they, you know, should do and repent and, and, and be baptized or immersed. But, uh, yeah, Peter leveraging, you know, the Holy Spirit through Peter, leveraging what the Holy Spirit through the previous prophets, you know, as you said, hundreds of years before, uh, had already uh, said and put into the record. Yeah, and that is exactly how these prophets were serving us. And, And you're right, it's interesting how seeing that prophecy led them to know that they had fulfilled it. And that's the benefit for us, too, because as we read these things and our faith grows, we also feel that awe and reverence and amazement at what God was able to do, which increases the, uh, the power of repentance. It increases our godly sorrow. It increases our uh, confession of our sin and it increases our understanding of salvation that comes after it because these prophets who wrote thousands of years earlier were saying exactly the same thing as what the apostles and prophets were preaching. And with those two things, they went into all the world, they preached the gospel, and they converted multitudes because of the power. Yeah, and Jesus often rebuked the Pharisees and the scribes and others for not recognizing what the old law clearly prophesied, not just about Christ, but about the, the new covenant and so forth. And so, to your earlier point, Alan, you know, we like take Saul of Tarsus, very well versed in the old law. He was one of the most educated men in the old law, but even he missed the fulfillment of that prophecy, right, about Christ. Until it was pointed out to him that, you know, or Jesus asked him, why are you persecuting me? So they they had no excuses. They should have known from their study of the old law that what they were seeing was a fulfillment of those prophecies. That's right. And once again, like we saw in the Old Testament, these prophecies were given to help these Jews so that they wouldn't do the things that they ultimately did. Uh, If they had been carefully reading Isaiah 53, they would have been able to see that the Messiah that was going to be coming was going to be persecuted. He was going to be mistreated. And interestingly enough, and we'll read this verse in a few moments, but it makes the point that you actually fulfilled the very things that the Holy Spirit said you were going to do. And again, that was given so that as many people as possible could be saved when Jesus came and the church started. 
And I think there's really no clearer way to look at this than the, the second sermon that Peter preached in Acts chapter 3, because the Holy Spirit inspires him to continue to refer back to these prophets and show how they seamlessly fit together. These passages in the Old Testament ministered to us were seamlessly bringing to faith these people. So, Jeff, why don't you read uh, Acts chapter 3, verses 17 through 21. Okay. And, of course, you know, within the context, he is, like in chapter 2, telling them what they had done, Uh, you know, disowning the Holy and Righteous One, uh, verse 14, you know, put to death the prince of life. And then, you know, verse 16, you know, on the basis of faith in his name, that is the name of Jesus, you know, the miracle that he had performed that had drawn the crowd uh, was done. So beginning with verse 17, yet now, brethren, I know that you did it in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But those things which God foretold by the mouth of all his prophets, that the Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus Christ, who was preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all of his holy prophets since the world began. Right, so what we see in this passage, and again, I I could have started in Acts chapter 2, but it wasn't as comprehensive as this one, but I really like verse 18. Those things which God foretold by the mouth of all his prophets that the Christ would suffer. And that's exactly what Peter said in 1 Peter, that this was going to be the prophecies that they were making that were being made for us. And now we see how they were made for us. You fulfilled these things. Now, Peter could have gone to Isaiah 53. He could have gone to several very poignant or very powerful passages in the Psalms. Uh, he could have gone to uh, Jeremiah or, or Daniel and pointed things out. Zechariah, same thing. Lots of prophecies in Zechariah. By the mouth of all his prophets that Christ would suffer, he, he fulfilled. Then verse 21 the times of the restoration of all things which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. So, once again, the primary purpose of those Old Testament prophets was to help the people in their day, but the secondary and equally important purpose of those prophets was to help the people who would exist and live during the final dispensation until the end of the age comes and that would be that period of time where christ is sitting at the right hand of god exalted and the gospel is being preached and as many people as possible are sought to be influenced and for some people these prophecies are not as critical as they are for others some people are very close to wanting to obey the gospel but they need an added incentive And these prophecies, the more you think about how God was able to just start and say, Abraham, he will be your son. And then Judah, he will be your son. And then David, he will be your son. And just narrowing it down and narrowing it down. And all of a sudden, everything God promised occurred And so when we start in Luke chapter 1, or we start in uh, Matthew chapter 1, we see these prophecies referred to, and one of the first things that's done in Luke and Matthew is the genealogies to show how Jesus came all the way back from Abraham and Judah and David, just as had been prophesied. And again, How could we know whose son is going to do something 3,000 years from now or 2,000 years from now? And so these are the kinds of things that are tremendously faith-building. And so in those moments where we're really required to pay a huge price for our faith, maybe like Stephen, we're going to be persecuted. Maybe some will even be put to death. These are the kinds of things that give us the assurance that 
these things are absolute truth. Well, and as a small side comment, I might make if, if people are kind of interested in some of the Old Testament prophecies fulfilled in Christ, in some ways, all you need to do is read the Gospel of Matthew, which scholars believe was written primarily to a, a Jewish audience, because repeatedly throughout the, Matthew's Gospel, he'll say things like, well, this happened as was written according to the prophets, or you know, this came to pass you know, consistent with, or whatever terminology. Uh, almost like constantly referring the reader back to what they should have already known, you know, from the uh, Old Testament accounts. Yeah, and that extends to even the sayings on the cross that Jesus made. Some of those he was simply quoting from Psalms or part of the old law. Yeah, Psalms 22, he, he, there, there's many things in that Psalm that, that are dealing with. And again, how can the Jews argue with their own prophets? You know, the whole basis of them understanding themselves to be God's chosen people and God's people who were serving him, and then these prophecies come in, and they fulfill these prophecies. I, I don't know. I, I just feel like those Jewish leaders had to have a tremendously hard heart. You know, and as you mentioned Saul earlier, when Saul of Tarsus was brought face to face with Jesus, and he saw all the prophecies that he had violated, he was sick about it. Matter of fact, he never got over that. Even in Second Timothy and First Timothy, he's talking about being unworthy, less than the least of all saints, or unworthy to be an apostle. And because he recognized how foolish could I have been to have ignored all of those prophecies. And maybe even more to the point, let's keep reading in Acts. Uh, this time, Brian, why don't you finish it off for us? Verses, uh, Acts chapter 3, verses 22 through 24. Here it says, For Moses truly said to the fathers, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you shall hear in all things, whatever he says to you. And it shall be that every soul who will not hear that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. Yes, and all the prophets, from Samuel and those who follow, as many as have spoken, have also foretold these days. So, once again, the comprehensive nature, the power of these prophecies for Christians now again, let me emphasize the point, 90% of everything that the Old Testament prophets wrote were written for the people in that age. They were written to get them to repent, they were written to help them see their sins, they were written to get them to heaven. But in the midst of those prophecies, 10% are what he's speaking of here. For example, Moses wrote Genesis through Deuteronomy, and there's only three or four passages in there, but here's Peter saying, this is what Moses said. Now again, this is in Deuteronomy chapter 18. The Lord your God will raise up a prophet for you from among your brethren, and every soul who will not hear that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from the people. Well, lo and behold, here's Jesus, and Jesus is that prophet and he's making the point, if you don't hear that prophet, you're going to be utterly destroyed. And then just to drive the point home, all the prophets from Samuel and those who follow have foretold of these days. So again, when you see in the Old Testament a perfect description of what you've done, and then a perfect description of what you ought to be doing, and a perfect description of the glory and the power and the majesty that's coming, you'd be foolish indeed. And sadly, many of them were, but many of them were tremendously helped by these prophecies. Our next jump that I, that I want us to jump forward to is in Acts chapter 8, because I just want us to see how these promises were applied to the people. And this is a tremendous act of providence because here is God asking Philip to join himself to the chariot at the exact moment that the eunuch is reading Isaiah 53. And as he's reading Isaiah 53 and perplexed and pondering who is this prophet talking about, here comes Philip to say he's talking about Jesus. And immediately, Philip baptized him because he knew that it was the truth. So, Jeff, why don't you start with Acts chapter 8, and we'll start in verse 27 and read through verse 30. Okay. 
And of course, in context, you know, the Ethiopian eunuch, you know, had traveled to Jerusalem from, you know, Ethiopia and was returning. Um, and the Holy Spirit had, you know, directed uh, Peter almost on an intercept course <laughs> to catch him uh, before he had, uh, you know, returned to Ethiopia. So with that context, uh, beginning with verse 27, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury, and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning. And sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said to Philip, Go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet and said, Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, Well, how can I unless someone guides me? So in this particular passage, God makes it clear that just by reading Isaiah, this man was ready to hear the gospel and obey the gospel. And it's interesting because in the course of time that it takes for them to be riding down the road, this man hears and learns everything he needs to know about Jesus beginning from this prophecy. And so God makes it clear. The Holy Spirit here, he's sitting in his chariot. He's reading Isaiah the prophet. And then the Spirit says, overtake the chariot. And Philip could hear him reading Isaiah the prophet. And again, he's right in the middle of a perfect description of the Messiah and the coming one. And so when Philip asks him, do you understand what you're reading? He is prepping him to be able to preach the gospel to him. And so that is where we continue on. And Jeff, if you'd like to go ahead and continue reading, let's go down through 34, or excuse me, 31 through 36. And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. And the place which he had read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? for his life is taken from the earth. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at this scripture preaching Jesus to him. Okay, so once again, the power of these prophecies to bring about faith and bring about conversion and again, bring about details. Oftentimes, you know, there's some things in Isaiah 53 that aren't really revealed in the New Testament because God's already revealed it in the Old Testament. And although he reads two or three verses out of Isaiah 53, there's actually many other verses making descriptions of what Jesus was going to do, that he was going to be a humble man, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, that he was going to be bruised for our iniquities, that he was going to have stripes laid upon him, that he was, his life was going to be taken from him. And all of these things are clearly just, it's as if, a matter of fact, this is an interesting point. For hundreds of years, the skeptics of the Bible were saying Isaiah was written after Jesus died. That chapter was inserted. It couldn't possibly have been written before because it was too accurate. Then when they found the Dead Sea Scrolls, they found the whole book of Isaiah. And lo and behold, here is Isaiah 53 in a book that was written before Jesus was born. So the prophecy was validated. It definitely was part of the Old Testament. But they were right. There would really be no way for this writer to get it so perfectly accurate unless he was an eyewitness to the actual events. And yet here is God giving eyewitness testimony 700 years before the event actually occurred. And so this eunuch was convicted. And when I read this passage, I'm convicted because it's just such a wonderful blending of the gospel, the new revelation, the complete fulfillment, but the realization that the framework had already been revealed hundreds and thousands of years before he actually came because this was God's plan. It was part of his eternal purpose. Well, and I've even seen some uh, videos on the internet where 
like uh, you know Christians who are you know speaking to Jews you know modern day, trying to uh, persuade them, they'll just have them read Isaiah fifty three, <laughs> and, and you know the Jews that are somewhat familiar with Jesus Christ, uh, you know you can see them kind of struggling with the realistic depiction of you know Jesus being pierced, uh, you know being crushed, uh, you know and doing and within the context of the prophecy things going on things happening to him that he could not have had any control over he could not have staged i guess i should say you know to include uh you know being assigned or being with a rich man in his death in terms of his actual uh, tomb uh, that was uh, borrowed if you will from a joseph of arimathea who was a rich man of the time yeah and that that is exactly the point that we're we're trying to make is that these are such powerful scriptures. I really like the when, when Paul is standing before King Agrippa, which ultimately led to him having to go to Rome. But he made a very interesting statement in Acts chapter 26, verses 22 and 23. And uh, Brian, would you like to read that for us? Here it says, Therefore, having obtained help from God, to this day I stand, witnessing both to small and great, saying no other things than those which the prophets and Moses said would come, that the Christ would suffer, that he would be the first to rise from the dead, and would proclaim light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. So what a a beautiful summary of the gospel. And here's Paul saying, I have never said anything different from what the prophets and Moses said would come. So the gospel was preached. Matter of fact, it's interesting. Uh, Paul tells the Galatians that the gospel was preached beforehand to Abraham when he was told, through your seed, all nations of the earth would be blessed. So when Abraham said, through your seed, all nations of the earth would be blessed, he was saying nothing different than the apostles were going to be preaching. And when Moses said that a prof, God's going to raise up a prophet like me, and you must listen to him. And so Paul is saying, I'm only preaching based on this initial framework that God revealed through the prophets. So most of the gospel has already been revealed. But as was pointed out in Peter, they couldn't understand it. They couldn't figure it out. There just wasn't quite enough information. They had, a, they had a vague picture, but they couldn't quite get it. But here's the apostles now fulfilling and filling in the gaps. And Paul telling us, you know, if you go back and read all of these things in the Old Testament and you compare them with what I'm preaching now, you will see that I'm not saying anything different than they are. Now, he gave us more detail. It's kind of like what happens when you when you see a tree in the winter. In the winter, you see the basic framework of the tree. You see the basic image of the tree. And some people who are wise enough can tell you what kind of a tree it is in the winter. But most people have to wait until the leaves come on and then the fruit comes on. And then, or excuse me, the, the, the leaves come on, the, the flowers begin to bloom, and then finally the fruit comes. And that's really how I would describe the, 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 the comparison between the Old Testament prophets who gave us the basic outline of this tree, or as Jesus said, I'm the vine, you are the branches. And so now in the gospel, we see the leaves, we see the blooms, we see the fruit, we see so many more details. It's kind of the difference between a black and white picture and a colored picture. So when you're, you're looking at someone in black and white, you can get a pretty good understanding of what they look like. But to see them in color, now you have a much clearer view. And so Paul is telling us that the gospel, he and the rest of the apostles were preaching along with the prophets, was nothing different from what the Old Testament prophets had already revealed. You know, it's interesting, Alan, because even for those that knew what the old law said about Jesus, they still in some cases rejected him because he wasn't a physical king. They were looking for a physical king to sit on a physical throne. 
And so, you know, we could go through all the reasons why Jesus was rejected, but once again, one of them was because they wanted that physical king to stand up against the Romans and to be able to make them great as they were when they were the Israelites. But that was never part of God's plan. What Jesus was bringing was spiritual, not physical. It's funny, Brian, that, that's very similar to the point that I was going to make with some of the uh, prophetic language. You know, in the Old Testament prophecy, yeah, a lot of the Jews of Jesus' day, as you said, were looking for a, a physical king to reestablish the nation of Israel, etc., uh, but did not realize that some of that prophetic language was, as you said, more spiritual, more figurative, you know, referring to the coming Christ and his kingdom in terms of the church, uh, Christianity, uh, etc. So, yeah, that, that maybe that's another side uh, comment we might mention that, you know, when you get into, you know, prophecies, uh, because it is often in figurative language, don't be deceived into thinking that it really says something that eh, it may not. Yeah, and that's, that's a, again, a good point. The Old Testament prophets gave the outline. The New Testament prophets and apostles gave the exact fulfillment. And it's interesting, even in Acts chapter 1, after his resurrection, and just as he's about to ascend into heaven, the, the apostles are even stuck. Lord, do you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? They're still expecting a physical kingdom with a physical king. And Jesus says, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons. Because he knew once the Holy Spirit came and began revealing it to them, that they would have a clear picture and they would know exactly how foolish that question really was. So as we summarize all of these Old Testament prophecies that were perfectly joined with the New Testament fulfillments, we have to go back to our basic foundation statement, which is the Holy Spirit inspired these men. So we have the same individual who is actually the author of the entire Bible. The Holy Spirit is eternal, just like Jesus and just like God. They have eternity. They are all-knowing. They are all-powerful. They are eternal. And so what the Holy Spirit wrote in Genesis chapter 1, he was still around to write what Moses had said, what Isaiah had said, and then finally when Jesus comes, it's the same Holy Spirit who gave these Old Testament prophecies who is now giving us the fulfillment. And Paul really captures this in a very interesting passage in the book of Ephesians. And so he starts with his role and then shows how the uh, the, the mystery, the, the Old Testament scriptures were giving small snippets of information, but which now he was given the opportunity to bring to completion. And so let's read verses uh, 8 through 11. To me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to enlighten all people as to what the plan of the mystery is, which for ages has been hidden in God, who created all things, so that the multifaceted wisdom of God might now be made known through the church, the rulers and the authorities in heavenly places. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is a, a an amazing passage because it reveals that the church was part of God's multifaceted wisdom and that it was in his eternal purpose. So what starts in Genesis and ends in Revelation is the fulfillment and the completion of something God had planned. And so all of it falls into the perfect ability of God not only to see the future, but also to intervene in that future and be absolutely certain that everything he promised was going to come to pass. So this author, the Holy Spirit, who in Genesis chapter 3 said, there's going to be a seed who's going to come and destroy the power of the devil. And then, of course, when Jesus comes, he fulfills that. He does destroy the power of the devil because God had that plan back in eternity. The eternal purpose of God was for Jesus to die on the cross. And it was for Jesus to start the church. 
And it was for the church. The glory of the church is never really seen as clearly as it is here when we're told that these principalities and powers in the heavenly places, which is dealing with the angels, it's dealing with the angelic host in heaven, and even they can see things in the church that are multifaceted. They reveal things about God that they had not seen. And so I have a sermon I like to preach from time to time, and it's called The Church is God's Greatest Masterpiece. Because even though God made the sun, the moon, the stars, the earth, the animals, the plants, and and just made everything so perfect, it can't accomplish the salvation and the glorious redemption of God's people and the renewal of his divine image within them like the church can do. And so we start with these Old Testament prophets which in verse 9 he says, to make all men see the mystery which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God. So God knew these things were going to happen. He gave a little piece to, uh, to Eve. He gave another little piece to Abraham, a little more to Moses, a little more to Isaiah, a little more to Daniel, a little more to, and just all the way through. And now Paul says, I am so blessed that I was the one who got to make all men see what this mystery which was hidden from the ages. And so we see the perfect seamless nature of these Old Testament prophecies and these New Testament fulfillments. Same author, same plan, everything being culminating in Christ's death on the cross. And the only thing Jesus bought with that death, that blood, is the church. In Acts 20 and 28, he purchased the church with his own blood. And so it exemplifies the great glory of the church of Christ. And it manifests just how important the church is to God. And even though the world looks down upon the church and looks down upon the gospel, the angelic beings in heaven are looking at the church and they're seeing the glory of God. And this is why we have to be so careful to make sure that the church we are a part of is the exact same church as the one that Jesus died for. And the only way we could know that is to take all of the details that are revealed about the church and make sure that the church we are worshiping God in is doing all of those things. And, you know, that's a really important point, uh, especially if you look at the diversity religious groups today that claim to be following Christ uh, in terms of different names, different organizational structures, different titles for their titles and qualifications for their leaders, different days of worship, different acts of worship, different, it just goes on and on. Yeah. And Latter-day prophecies, right? So you were talking earlier, Jeff, about the Mormons and the Book of Mormon. And so we see God had a multifaceted plan, which for you know before the foundations of the world he put together so therefore man doesn't have any right to inject himself in it and claim that there are any latter day revelations that's impossible because god's plan was perfect it doesn't need man's help in any way that's exactly right true also good point and it also helps us to understand how important it is that the church be exactly what god revealed it in the scriptures for example, Jesus put baptism in the church. There's no question about it. And, and he, he gave it as the first thing that should be commanded, go into all the world, preach the gospel. He who believes is baptized will be saved. Or Matthew 28, 18, which says, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. In the first sermon, Peter says, repent and be baptized. And so baptism is part of the glory that the angelic beings see in the church. And so when people today are saying, we don't need that in the church, you can't even imagine, what do you think the angels are thinking when they see that it's part of God's manifold wisdom as revealed in the scriptures, and then people today saying, oh, that's not important. What right do they have to take something so fundamental out of the gospel in order to satisfy their ideas of what is wise when the angelic beings are seeing the true wisdom of baptism. And that's just one example, and, and, and there's many others that we could, we could look at. The glory of the church is revealed in the New Testament scriptures. 
And if we can't see that and we want to change the church to fit our notions, then just realize the the angelic beings who are watching that and feeling such sadness to see human beings using their own wisdom to change the glorious wisdom that God put into the church. On to add maybe one or two quick points to that as well. You know, just the, the wisdom of having basically individual local congregations not tied together in some sort of a overarching hierarchy, such that if the hierarchy goes off the rails, all the churches get drug along with them. You know, the wisdom of local autonomy, uh, the wisdom of having a plurality of qualified individuals uh, according to certain qualifications, you know, leading the local congregation as, you know, elders. Uh, and, and, you know, as you said, any number of other things that, you know, we can kind of say, yeah, that that was pretty smart, you know, to set it up that way, given what we've seen occur in some of the other groups that choose to add to, take from, or, or institute their own, you know, man-made uh, structures, doctrines, etc. Yeah, and this is something fascinating that Paul brings out in 1 Corinthians. He talks about the wisdom of men and how bitterly disgusted God is with the wisdom of men. And he says in verse 19, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. And then he makes this fascinating statement that in, in verse 26, not many wise according to the flesh, not many noble, not many mighty are called. God has chosen foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. So the very things in the gospel that seem foolish to us are placed there to test us. And if we have the audacity and the folly to change the wisdom of God to fit our notion of wisdom, then we prove ourselves to be unworthy of God. So God chose foolish things. He chose he chose weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are mighty. He chose base things of the world and the things which are despised and the things which are not. So God had a plan. It's a glorious plan, a beautiful plan, but he has put it into a vessel that human wisdom will not accept. And sadly, many of the churches that are in existence today have come into being because they didn't want the wisdom of God and they wanted to substitute the wisdom of men. So when you find a church that is different, its teachings are different, its moral teachings are different, its doctrinal teachings are different, its worship teachings are different, what you're finding is a group of people who don't trust the wisdom of God and they would rather lean on their own understanding and use their own wisdom. Well, and that pretty much brings us to the end of uh, this particular part of our uh, podcast, you know, looking into prophets and prophecy, as well as at least what for us is a very encouraging uh, faith-building event, if you will, or, or circumstance of having the, you know, confirmed Old Testament prophecies fulfilled in Christ, in, in the Messiah, uh, that, you know, as, as we've said, will build our faith. Uh, Alan, anything else you want to mention before we uh, wrap it for the day? I just hope that our listeners can really appreciate the seamless nature of the scriptures. We have books written from the period of time at the beginning all the way through, and yet there's not one single contradiction. There's not one single place in the Bible where they are wrong either when it comes to history, when it comes to prophecy, when it comes to anything the scriptures are dealing with, and to see the Old Testament predicting it and the New Testament, its fulfillment, just shows us the wisdom, the glory, and the majesty of God, and it ought to lead to awe, reverence, and most importantly, submission and obedience. Appreciate that, Alan. Uh, so, Brian, I'll toss it to you for any sort of uh, final references, uh, especially back to our website. Yeah, there's a lot of material on our website that will kind of really help support what we've been talking about. In our last podcast, Jeff mentioned if you go to the topical index and you select the letter P, uh, there is the major and minor prophets under P where there's a really nice matrix that kind of shows you when they prophesied and some information about those. 
You'll also notice right around there, there's a section called prophecy, and there's two different comprehensive studies that Alan's put together that we can highly recommend. One of them was on the subject that we talked about in today's podcast, Messianic Prophecies. The second one is called Prophecies Regarding Nations. And to that point, we will have one more podcast in this series where, Alan, you're going to talk about prophecies regarding nations. So I was wondering if you could just real quick let everybody know what you're going to talk about in that section, and then I have a couple other uh, references at the site. Yeah, the Old Testament prophecies regarding the Messianic or Christ's kingdom are of tremendous interest to the people of God because they're 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 constantly quoted in the New Testament. But there are literally hundreds of prophecies in the Old Testament about the fall of nations long before they occurred. And it's another faith-building, very powerful thing to see God naming the name of a king 200 years before he's born and telling us exactly what he's going to do. And so we want to look at those, again, just kind of a faith-building and helping us to understand how God works in the kingdoms of men and how he raises up nations and takes them down. And it gives us some real interesting insights into what's happening today and the directions of where God may be going regarding what's happening today. Excellent. Look forward to that. A couple other references at the website that will cover some topics that we discussed in our last two podcasts. C for Church the True. D for denominationalism. We made a lot of references to, you know, prophecies and, you know, adding additional doctrines, if you will, to the Bible. C also for Christian evidences. And then one final one, you'll notice that we have a topics menu and there's a section under there called seeking a church. So let's say that you're a member of a religion where as you look at the practices of that religion, you see that it's contrary to God's will, or maybe they're practicing some of the things that we talked about today. Uh, look at the Seeking a Church section because it really goes through from a biblical perspective as to what you should be looking for when you're seeking a church. So anyhow, appreciate your attention, invite you back for part three, and as we always say, please study everything that we've said, compare it to God's Word, and make application in your life. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Bible Questions podcast. We invite you to visit our website at biblequestions.org, where you can find over a thousand scripture-filled articles on a wide variety of Bible topics, along with about two dozen free Bible study lessons and other Bible study aids. Plus, you can submit a Bible question to us to get a personal response within a couple of days. Check it all out at biblequestions.org.